We're going to read some scripture this morning. Uh, and if you have a Bible, the words will be on the screen. But if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it and get stuck into it. Uh, it is Luke 10. It's quite possibly one of the classic Sunday school stories of all time. It's definitely in the top five. And this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. It goes like this. Before I start, just one, it's one of those really well-known stories, right? That we think we know, we think we uh, understand. But just pray quickly that the Holy Spirit just really shows you something new and challenges you something that maybe challenges you, but maybe equips you. So Holy Spirit, we just really um, come and meet with us as we um, delve into this amazing piece of scripture. Amen. It goes like this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, and how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man. He passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then... He put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go now and do likewise. Now, when you uh, maybe read this morning, or maybe you knew already that we were talking about generosity with time, you may have thought, oh gosh, the church is going to ask me more, I'm not even going to come today. So well done for even being here, if that's what you thought, then that's a, a real act of will on this sunny, beautiful Sunday morning. But actually, my caveat would be to this talk that I'm not, and neither do I think scripture asks that of us, that actually... We have been given enough time and God has given us our days. And we have in the role model of Jesus, who tells this story in the book of Luke, we have in the role model of him someone who does time management better than anyone I've ever encountered. Better than anyone. And my other caveat would be, I have learned a lot from writing this talk and I feel like I am not an expert <laughs> on this subject because... <laughs> I have a real fear in me, as some of you will know, that my tombstone or my, uh, uh, what do you call it, eulogy, eulogy, might read, Judy was very busy. And if that is the case, I would be really disappointed if anyone's thinking of writing a eulogy for me. Please don't yet, uh, unless you want me gone. Um, but actually, um, that's a fear in me, because I know it's a driver in me. And you might have that, you might not. But actually, what I would love it to say is Judy was very generous with her time. And I would like to think that there is a big difference between those two things. Because in the tyranny of the urgent, the busy, the never-ending demands that we have, we could lose that wonder 
that we've just seen, that spectacle of life, that gift of the day, that every day is a God-given gift. And in John, we read that actually there are works in advance that God has prepared for us to do. And I wonder if we're in danger sometimes of almost losing those through the cracks in busyness because there are encounters that we have prepared that actually are right for you and not for me. People that you can share the good news of Jesus with that actually is not right for me to do. People that you can stop along the wayside while I might carry on. In the economy of God, that can happen. So let's look at this. It's not a very uh, uh, profound quotation, or maybe it is, but it's certainly true of me. Uh, Sometimes I get road rage walking behind people in the grocery store. Who's true? Who is that true for? Okay, yes, some of you I know because we've done shopping together. Yes, and um, I'm not proud of it, but I know it's true. I am a queue hopper. I'm not a queue jumper, just like to say. I don't push in. Brought up in Surrey, very well behaved. But um, I am definitely a queue jumper. So in other words, I'll, a hopper rather, I'll see a queue, I'll get in it and I'm there and I'm poised and I'm ready and then I see somebody's dropped out and there's a quicker one here. So I'm there, then someone's lost their purse, their card, their everything and I'm then delayed for 10 minutes and losing the will to carry on. That's the kind of drivenness that can sometimes be me. And we will all, you might be thinking, well, that's not me. I, t- you know, I'm very f- kind of laid back and I just enjoy the moment and the people and, and well done if that's you. But for a lot of us, we don't even know why we're in a rush. Sometimes I'm thinking, well, wh- who do I think I am and where do I think I'm going? <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's just that I've got to be served as quickly as possible. But actually in this, in this story that Andy's read for us, we have someone who gives two days of his time, with every reason in the world could have let him carry on. Because of the three people that Jesus mentions in this story, he had the least reason to stop. Because when Jesus sets this up, Jewish tradition, they would have known this. I think we miss the joke sometimes. Jews don't because they know the jokes. But Jesus told parables a little bit like we tell jokes. Not because he just wanted a punchline, but through a funny story or a familiar story, he wanted people to understand a truth. And what they would have known is very often, a bit like we say there's an Englishman, an Irishman, and a Scotsman at the beginning of a joke, they would have heard there was a Levi, a priest, and an Israelite. Those are the three that they would have been expecting. And you can almost imagine the double take that happens when it's, what, a Samaritan? I thought it was going to be an Israelite. Well, hang on, how's that going to work? Well, he's not going to stop. If the priest didn't stop and the Levite, learned Levite didn't stop, there's no way that the Samaritan is going to stop. But not only does he pause, but he goes incredibly out of his way to be generous. Now, this story is told, as Andy read at the beginning, from a guy who comes up to Jesus, a little bit to test him out, Scripture says that, but to say, I know the command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I've been guilty, and I'm sure many of us have, of putting those separately. We know the one, and we know the other. But here they're all together And there's a reason for that, because actually one flows into the other. We can think of our duty and get it wrong and feel under pressure this morning, or it can be out of the flow of love that we have for God, that we can't help but love our neighbour. 
that actually the more that we love God generously and get caught up in his generosity, then actually the more the love for our neighbour, even the one that we could not stop for, we might be caused to pause with. Because this is almost offensive when Jesus is telling it, and it's hard because it's become a little bit more normalised for some of us. It may be the first time you've heard it, it may not. But it's a story of kind of outrageous grace, outrageous love, and it's a two-day at least servitude of a guy who could have walked past. And when I was looking at commentaries about the reasons the other two passed, People are very conflicted and unclear. Some say he didn't want, they might not have wanted to be, to lose their purity in stopping. But one commentator, Jewish commentator, said very clearly, no, there is no excuse. That we can put the excuses in there, but actually that just makes us feel better, doesn't it? But actually what happened was somebody at their own risk didn't know where the robbers were, didn't know what was going on, not only stopped, not only bandaged wounds, actually put him on his own donkey, and Jesus is very clear, it was no one else's donkey, he didn't go and hire a donkey from Expedia, hire donkeys or whatever. He actually put him on his own donkey. In other words, he included his own story, it was his own stuff that got messy, that got messed up, that got included in what God was doing. And for us, there's an excitement around that, I hope, that there is a time where that will be called, that we will be called on to pause with people even this week. But it's out of the overflow of grace with us. Eugene Peterson, busyness is a thief. It is a thief of our spirituality. It's acerbic. Now, I think with that, that doesn't mean you can't have a busy calendar, but it does mean we can't have a busy mind. And what Jesus had was quite a focused mind because he had God's mind. You don't have to pause with everyone (laughs) or you'll never get anywhere. But there is someone that you need to pause with this week that I don't. My dad has been a brilliant teacher for me, as he has been in many ways. Some of you will know, as I said, that hurry up is a driver not only in my life, but in our family. So we used to eat at such a pace at family mealtimes that if we had boyfriends or friends coming back, they would still be just approaching their second course and our plates would all be clean. And sometimes we'd be glared at, like, just hold back. We don't all have to eat at a pace, but we all do. And that's just a driver in our household. But when we have these drivers, as we've said before, and hurry up would be one of mine, we can carry it through the whole of life. But now my dad is 89. Now he has Parkinson's disease and has done for 17 years. And he's going nowhere fast. And he's got me. (laughs) So that's not a great combination in lots of ways. He's also got my lovely sister who's much more patient. But we've still got to get from A to B. And it's going to take us a very, very long time to get there. So through that, God is teaching me. You know, when he first used to be whipped into his wheelchair and into the car, people around me used to be laughing because I would just try to do it so quickly. But it's been a teacher. And maybe that's been your kids. Maybe that's been people around you who find difficult and awkward, who are helping us to just learn to pause even when it's costly. And certainly in this scripture, it is costly. There's a great African proverb that comes uh, at the end of a film I'm going to mention in a moment that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Isn't that true? It's not from scripture, just to clarify, it's an African proverb, but it could be. 
because of life's journeying with one another. There's a great film that I saw a few weeks ago um, that is called A Good Lie. Some of you will know I've been waxing lyrical about it. And I think it's a very, very suitable film as we look at this subject of generosity. Because in this film, if anyone's seen it, it's a fairly new, new release, actually. Uh, Reese Weatherspoon's character, I love her as an actress. She's brilliant. She's very good in this. But she's given the job of really being a counsellor and somebody who allocates new jobs to people who are refugees and new to the country. And that is her job. And she obviously sees it as a job, but on the start of this one day, someone else is supposed to be picking some guys up from the airport. Suddenly they drop out last minute and she has to rush to the airport to pick up three war-torn and traumatised gentlemen from uh, Sudan. And they arrive, they have been through high trauma, they've got carrier bags only full of stuff. And they're standing, the last ones in the airport, there's space all around them. And she rushes in, and I can picture myself doing it, so I don't say this critically. She arrives, and she can't remember whether they're from Somalian, whether they're Somalian refugees, Sudanese refugees, she can't remember their names. She's just, now you're from Somalia, or, oh Sudan, that's right, yes, yeah. she doesn't know their name. She gets them into the car as quick as she can, and she gets them from A to B. She dumps them on the side of the road, wishes them well. She says she'll be there in the morning, and on she goes to the next thing. And in the rearview mirror, she catches sight of these three guys just standing with their carry bags on the side of the road. They've not gone in to their accommodation. They're just totally standing like this, very dignified. And to her credit, and I think we'd all agree we hope we would do this, she thinks I've got that spectacularly wrong. She reverses up and she stands with them. She says, oh, I'm sorry, you're supposed to go in. I'll go in with you. <laughs> and she walks in with them. Now, she probably only spends five minutes doing that. But that makes a whole world of difference to them. She then picks them up in the morning and she's remembered their names. And as the film unfolds, probably too many spoilers here, but uh, I hope it's whetting your appetite rather than putting you off. But at the end, she spends Christmas with them. And they have changed her to such a point that she wouldn't want to be with anyone else for Christmas. And they have stopped and prayed graces over policemen in busy lives and just said, may God keep you safe as you keep us safe. And she's thought, What? And they've turned up at her house randomly with a thing of oranges. And the generosity of their spirit has helped her to start to slow down enough to see the wonder of people, to pause. Because no one does that for me better than Jesus. That this is actually the art of pausing with people is one that we really clearly see in Jesus. And he doesn't pause with everyone. Why? Because he spent time with the Father. William Barclay says that it's out of the time that Jesus spends under the stars that he is able to mingle with the crowds. I love that because it's true. Because God doesn't want you to pause with every single person that wants a piece of you this week, relief. But he may want you to pause with the very person who you actually don't want to pause with. Maybe over holidays you know you're going to see a difficult relative, a difficult person, an awkward friend or neighbour. And that, if we believe this story is true, that might well be the crossing of the, the road that you need to do. Bill Hybels talks about walk across the room. 
And actually, sometimes there is somebody that you don't want to phone, but actually that we need to. Tim Keller says, generosity is not only about money. There is more than one currency. Let your generosity be pervasive in life. And I'd like to say contagious as well. Pervasive is one thing as well, but contagious is another thing, that as we pause. And even preparing for this, as I said, my own heart has been challenged many times during this week. Even on Friday night, I was sorting the bins out outside. I was due to go out in a minute. A friend was arriving, and I was thinking, have we got enough time? I was going to call an Uber. It was all like this, and then suddenly, there's my neighbour, Jim. And he loves a chat, does Jim. Uh, but he also loves to do my lawn when I'm away and sometimes when I'm there. He loves to look after me, take care of me, just because he's my neighbour and he's a good guy. So I could say, oh, sorry, Jim, just off out, which is what I would want to say with everything in me at that point. But actually, we just had a little chat. It was probably only four minutes, but from that, everything seemed to go smoothly. And why do I tell you that? Because if we believe God and trust him for money, and he's been faithful to us in our lives over that and over church as well as a body, do we trust him on this business of time? Because I have seen miracles that God has given me when I've got it wrong over this. I can give him my diary and I can and hold it before him and just say, this looks to me madness. <laughs> and he probably says, yes, you're right, Judy, sometimes. But I can give that to him and he will reorder my life because he's promised to do that. And there have been times that I could testify to, and I won't now, but actually we had one last week out of the service at Bourneville where actually we just say, keep an eye on this because if we say, God, I've got this wrong or I haven't got this wrong. I'm just a carer. I've just got too many things going on. I'm trying to do what I've got to do and I can't see how I can do it. And it may be he'll send a friend in, maybe that he will ask you to pause with someone, but he will not leave you short in this if we come first to him. And he's miraculous how he does it, but he does do it. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. He's given us the gift of each day. And as we said in John, we hear within that day, he's prepared in advance good things for us to do. And let's be aware of those. Let's be alert to those so that they don't fall between the, the cracks of our lives and our busyness. Uh, the second account uh, actually happens a bit earlier in Luke that I wanted to briefly look at. And that is, uh, medics uh, have been looking at this, actually, which was interesting. I was reading a paper on how they've been using this to talk to medics about timing and valuing people. And in this, there's a crisis. And Jairus comes and he says, his daughter is dying. Will Jesus be there immediately? Now, have you noticed, if you've read the Bible and if you've read some of the scriptures, and if you haven't, start with one of the Gospels and just Luke might be a good one to start with and start to read this. We never hear, and you can pick me up on this if you prove me wrong, we never hear Jesus rushed through the marketplace or he said, quickly, let's go. Someone is going to die and I must be there. The sort of rhetoric that we can imagine us doing. I can't stop, there's somebody dying. Now, that's a fairly good excuse, isn't it? to keep us going on our road. And yet, in the crowd, some woman who has been suffering for years, hemorrhaging and has not seen any breakthrough, in the crowd touches Jesus, and he pauses with her. It's extraordinary. Not only does he pause, but power goes out of him, (laughs) 
and she's healed. Are we too busy for the miracle? Because Jesus could have rushed through that, couldn't he? And we would all have said, yeah, he needed to be there. But what we next have, even though the disciples say, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. In other words, let's get going. They were always trying to protect him, weren't they, from that? But actually, if you don't take my word for it, here is evidence of what I've just said. That he sacrifices the time with the lady, and when he gets there, Jairus' daughter is able to be mended. You can't outgive God. And as we give him our diaries this week, as we respond now, just try and picture it. I'm not suggesting you get it on your phone. You might want to, I don't know. But just picture your week coming up. It might be quite a good week to pick because some of you are on holiday. I don't know, but maybe not for all. Some of you are thinking, well, the kids are off, so that's not a good plan. But whatever, you're, you're holding your diary in front of him. And I wonder if you'd do this with me. And I did it last week, and it was tough, actually. I almost say, God, I give you an hour. I don't know when it's going to be, but I pray that there would be an hour that I can unexpectedly pause with someone that is going to be something that will truly bless that person might be visiting one of our more elderly congregation who can't get to church. That would bless their socks off, I know. It could be that you make a call, which is what I did yesterday, to an old friend who I hadn't seen enough of recently and just thought, you know what, I am going to pick up the phone. And I'd left it so long. You know when you leave it so long, you actually then feel guilty to ring? And I just thought, you know, I'm just going to get over it. I'm just going to get over it. And, And she was so gracious. But what could that hour be? Almost like you're gift wrapping it now and just saying, I don't know when it's going to be, but I I would love an hour and I'd love to have enough time so that I know when God is asking me to stop. Now, for some, you might think, well, actually, I'm time rich at the moment. I'm retired or I'm off work or I'm at home quite a lot. And never forget what a gift your time is, if that's you that actually you can be generous with your time. And for this season, there will be beautiful things that God has prepared for you to do that will bless perhaps those who are caught up at the moment in this cycle of of busyness. In Titus, we read these words, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Notice that urgent need is spontaneous. So how will we make room for the spontaneous? There might be, and poor old Keith was a bit upset about this last week because he needs lots of people on teams, and I was saying you might need to do less. But I trust in the economy of all of the different people we have in this church that it may well be that one person needs to do less and one person might need to take on a bit more because we're all in different seasons. But there are urgent needs, but we don't have to be the answer to all of them. And as we lay down and say, well, actually, there may be something I need to give up for now in order that I can keep my life spontaneous, enough time for my friends who don't yet know Jesus, enough times for my friends that actually are living on the road where I am. Some of you will know that I joined book club and uh, had a few issues over whether my house was big enough and I was posh enough and all of that. And uh, just over the last few weeks on Alpha, one of my friends has become a Christian and she's from book club. Now, that's the first one. There's quite a lot of us, uh, but that's the first one. And I cannot tell you. Now, that's been a time thing. It's been actually saying, okay, I'm going to make time for book club. It's quite a joyous thing. I don't resent it in any shape or form, although I all end up reading the book, driving around on the audio book, <laughs> trying to finish it, uh, the day of the book club sometimes. But nevertheless, that's been something 
that actually has just been a marked out time to be with my friends. And finally, John Ortberg says, there is a kind of fatigue that attacks the will. Soul fatigue or soul acceptance. Some of us are busy because we need approval. And we don't know whether it's God's approval, man's approval, but we just know we're busy. And it comes from that drivenness. You might not have hurry up as a driver. You might have be perfect, please others. There are lots of drivers that we might have that keep us busier than we need to be. And often that is because we're wanting approval. The good news, the radical good news of Jesus is we already have it. We have his full, deep approval and who you are and who we've been made to be. We can't earn it, we just have it, and we have it through the grace of God. So we start from there. We start from knowing we are loved, knowing we are accepted, knowing that our diaries, if we did nothing, even all week, God would love us anyway. But out of that love, out of that lavish generosity that we began with in planet Earth, I always think, you know, you've got David Attenborough and Louis Armstrong, you can't go far wrong with that video, can you? But actually there's something hugely warm and generous in that. And that's just a fraction of, of the love that he has for each one of us. The lavish love that he has for each one of us. I wonder if the band would come up and I, I would really like to pray for us as we respond to this. And I sense that that little bit that I put up there is significant. That some of us might have that kind of fatigue of the will that makes us know we wouldn't stop. That we'd feel bad, we might send up a prayer, say, I hope someone helps that poor guy or woman. But we're kind of a bit fatigued in it. Maybe we're fatigued globally by all that's going on and Jesus might just stop us this week to do something about it. Let's pray together. Just maybe be still for a moment. Lord, we want to manage our time in the mission of love. We want to love where love is not. Lord, we long not to do that from a sense of duty, but from a sense of being caught up in your generosity towards your people and your world. Make us more generous, we pray, with time to pause with one another, to cross the road, to cross the room, to make the call. And Lord, we give you our sense of duty and we pray that it would not be that, that deep sense of duty and drivenness that makes us pause, but actually that compassion that comes, that we love first God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength and with all our mind. And you give us love for, your, for our neighbours. Lord, we love you this morning. Thank you for being kind to us. Thank you for being generous with us. We trust you in the miracle of having enough time to be generous. In Jesus' name, amen.